Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, many rooms. That's what the word mansion meant in the uh, 16th century, 17th century as well. Many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, where is he in heaven? That's where we're going next. It's called the rapture. There we may be also. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Our Father's House. Pastor Carl will be preaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 17 through 27, as we study the splendor of the Father's house. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Salvation is a gift. I spoke to many people yesterday who thought they could earn their way to heaven. Salvation is not earned. It's not merited. It is the gift of God. And unless you receive it like that, you'll never go there. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What a distinction when you come to verse 7, as it begins with this little word, but, or verse 8, the word but. He's drawing a contrast between the first seven verses and what we hit here in verse 8. He's describing those who, as their way of life, they practice these things. These are not overcomers. These are people who are overcome by sin. Why? Because they've never been born from above. He speaks of those who are cowardly. We have people who are ashamed to come down front on a Sunday morning because they're cowardly. And their cowardliness is rooted to their unbelief. If you know Christ on the inside, the Bible teaches you'll confess him on the outside, and that will ultimately be seen in baptism. That's why Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He's not making baptism a requirement for salvation, but he is saying, he who believes and openly confesses me before men. How did they do that in the first century? By baptism. It always follows salvation. They're cowardly, they're unbelieving, they're abominable. That is, they're polluted in their thought life, in their body, in their minds. They're murderers. We have more and more murder happening all across our nation. It may be an abortionist who takes the innocent life of a baby. Oh, Planned Parenthood came out last week and bragged that they they murdered 365,000 babies last year. Wonderful for them. What a judgment is coming. Or it might be heart murder. The one who hates his brother is a murderer. Immoral, pornea. It can refer to premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, transgenderism. Again, he's speaking here, way of life. Let him who thinks he stands be careful lest he fall. You can commit any kind of sin. But if this is your lifestyle, you have proof positive you've never been saved. Sorcerers. 
pharmakia, we get our word pharmacy, people who are involved in drugs, alcohol, so forth, idolaters, those who put someone or something above God, liars as a way of life, as he'll underscore before we're done. It's also, beyond being permanent, prepared, and pleasing, it's priceless. Look at verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now, as John sees it from above, what strikes him is the glory that just permeates from this incredible city. He describes it like a brilliant jewel, crystal clear jasper are the words he uses. It's flawless, it's magnificent. And of course, it's, this is the place where your loved ones are today if they knew the Lord Jesus is their savior. So don't feel sorry for them. They're in a place of absolute magnificence. And again, it's this beautiful stones that are refracting their light and filling the city. It's also a private place. Look at verse 12. Uh, It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lambs. Now, I think it's significant that the names of the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles are forever imprinted on this eternal city. It's the final blow to covenant theology. Covenant theology says that God was finished with Israel centuries ago, that the church is the new Israel. And the reformers, many of them who came out of, out of Catholicism, embraced what the Catholic church taught, but it's not taught in scripture. There's 12 apostles that led the church. There were 12 tribes that represented God's uh, elect nation out of all the nations of the world. And there's coming a day when we will be one big family. All the Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints, only those, of course, who are believers, will be there. And of course, uh, this is indeed a private place. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the way if you're lost this morning. He's the truth if you've been deceived. And indeed, he's the life if on the inside you recognize you're empty and you're looking for meaning. Those Old Testament saints will be there by their faith in the coming Messiah. They looked ahead. We look back at what he has already accomplished. And notice John speaks here of a great and high wall as if to illustrate not just anyone can enter, only those who are forgiven. People must come through these 12 pearly gates. Jesus said if someone tries to scale the wall in John's gospel, he's like a thief and a robber. So will this place be yours? It can be. And it depends on what you do with Jesus Christ because what you do with the one who says he's the way and no one comes to the Father but through him. For there is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. By what you do with him will determine what he does with you. Now that's just by way of introduction, all right? You with me? (laughs) 
Uh, We haven't even gotten inside yet. So there are some truths I want to underscore this morning. First, the size of the Father's house. There's a note-taking outline if you want to use it. Let's think first about the size of the Father's house. About four and a half hours from here in Asheville, North Carolina, there's the most visited home in America. Many of you have been there. It was built by George Vanderbilt. It's no small place. It's built after a French chateau. I mean, a big French chateau, 250 rooms. It had things that most homes in that day could never dream of, an elevator, an intercom system, a bowling alley, an indoor pool. Um, Its driveway is three miles long. It's 175,000 square feet. But I want to tell you that Biltmore is like a lean-to compared to what we're going to look at this morning as we consider our Father's house, whose architect and builder is God, the writer to the Hebrews says. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, many rooms. That's what the word mansion meant in the uh, 16th century, 17th century as well. Many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, where is he in heaven? That's where we're going next. It's called the rapture. There we may be also. Now, if you've been to the Billmore, again, it is indeed impressive But I want you to see the size of our father's house. Verse 15, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Now, of course, the one who spoke to me is this angel. And you can read about this angel who also gave John a glimpse of the devil's city. Uh, Let me refresh your mind from Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And then these final bowls of judgment unfold. He's describing a city known as Babylon, the second most mentioned city in the scripture. And unlike the bride... This place is called a great harlot. God's city is called the holy city. And we who are his bride, the church, will be there someday. Look further, verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Now, the fact that he has a measuring rod made out of gold underscores the magnificence and the holiness of this city because all that was in the temple and the tabernacle, all the furniture was either made of pure gold or overlaid in gold. Now, further, he gives us the proportions, starting in verse 16. The city is laid out as a square, and its length as great as, its, as the width. And he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. So he's giving us the measurements in terms of length, width, and height. And so this city is as long as it is wide as it is high. Now, very rarely, occasionally, you'll hear some, I think, deficient exegete describe heaven like uh, a pyramid because the three, si- three measurements are given here and a pyramid can have, has the same length, height, and uh, in width all being equal. 
but contextually, in looking not just at the immediate context where he uses this word for a square, but in the broader context of the whole of Scripture, it can't certainly be uh, a pyramid. A pyramid, by the way, has eight edges to it. Uh, most people think of the Great Pyramid, which is pictured here. And if you bring up the next slide, here's another picture of it. Most people think of it as four-sided. It's not four-sided. It's actually eight-sided. And we didn't tune into this until 1940 when a British Air Force pilot was flying over it. And they say only a couple times of the year during the equinoxes can you see that it's actually eight-sided, that there's little indentations. So a pyramid has eight edges, whereas a cube has 12 edges. And so he's describing this city repeatedly with the number 12. There's 12 gates, there's 12 foundations, and he measures some 12,000 stadia. Add to that, we have other sources that would indeed affirm that this place is not pyramid shaped. Why would God ever model his city after a pagan symbol in Egypt where they worship the chief god, the god of the sun, Ray. Here's a verse I want to read. Bring it up next. He's describing the Holy of Holies. And again, he describes it in terms of length, width, and height. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in width, and 20 cubits in height. And he overlaid it with pure gold, and it was overlaid the altar with, he also overlaid the altar with cedar. So we know, interestingly, though he gives the same three dimensions, we know the Holy of Holies was a cube. In fact, here's a diagram of the Holy of Holies. It's cube in shape. What is God underscoring here? He's describing basically his whole city, what they saw in the tabernacle later in the temple, which was kind of a mini New Jerusalem. The whole city is a cube, just like the Holy of Holies, that section in the temple. Again, verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width. He measured the city with a rod. Now, if you have the New American Standard with footnotes, pay attention to them. If you go out into the margin, it says 12,000 stadion. That's what the Greek literally says, stadion. A stadion is 600 feet. And here, the New American Standard interprets it for you, and they say 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. And so... People sometimes, again, they will ask, well, is there enough room in heaven for all the people who need to go there? This city would extend from Canada to Mexico and from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Rockies. And of course, uh, the New Jerusalem is cubed, indicating that it has the same distance as it does height. Uh, here's, some, here's a diagram. This is the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa Tower in Dubai. It's 2,717 feet tall. Here's the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest. And uh, here is another slide showing all three side by side. Uh, way over there in the right corner, you can barely see it. That's the tallest building in the world. Next to the tallest mountain in the world. Next to God's great city. And so the holy city, the Father's house, uh, goes some 15 miles up into the sky if it were sitting here on the earth today, up into the sh where the stratosphere begins. 
And God is shouting that he alone is the living, magnificent, holy, all-powerful, all-creative God that he is. And of course, one biblicist, Henry Morris, a great scholar now in heaven, he predicted that there was maybe as many as 100 billion people who lived on earth and all of time. And he said, look, if even 20% of them were saved, that would mean that there could be room for 20 billion people in heaven. And if there were 20 billion people in heaven, each person would have their own 75 uh, acre estate. But, it, but it's more than that. It's, it, it, it's a house. There's a magnificent togetherness there that we will experience. And so um, this, remember, though, is just the capital city. Most people don't think in those terms. This is just the capital city. Someday, where your loved ones are, that whole city is going to come down and sit on a brand new earth. But the largeness that God gives here is absolutely astounding. If you could replace the moon above with Saturn, this is what you would see every day. Um, even a single comet is very big. If they laid a comet, this say, say is the average size comet, this is what it would look like if it were on the ground. Now, when you look up at the stars at night, you see what's in this uh, yellow ring. It's called the Milky Way. And now we know that our galaxy is just one of billions of galaxies. Recently, scientists mapped uh, the 100,000 galaxies near the Milky Way, and they found uh, Lanika, or Lanika, kind of a Hawaiian word that they used. Uh, what I'm trying to say is we haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> we haven't seen anything yet. We have no idea of how magnificent the new Jerusalem is that God has prepared for us. So that's just a glimpse for your consideration of the size of the Father's house. Secondly, I want you to think about the splendor, the splendor of the Father's house. Now the place is beyond value, it's priceless, which is obvious just by looking at the walls without having even walked into the inside yet. Uh, we're introduced to the walls here in verse 17, and he measured the wall 72 yards, the Greek says 144 cubits, or you could render it 72 yards, which is just shy of three-fourths of a football field, which makes it proportional to the great height of the wall. And the wall, we learn, is according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. In other words, someone might think, well, he's using measurements on a different level, and maybe that's why it's so big. No, he's reminding us that angels are using the same measuring stick that we would use here on earth. They're equivalent in this case. Verse 18, he begins to describe what the walls are made of. The material of the wall, he says here, is jasper. So the walls, of course, are not to keep us in. The gates are open. And the walls are not to keep the wicked out because as we just saw a moment ago in the schematic that God has for future things, the final of all judgments, one of seven judgments we studied in Scripture, the great white throne judgment, the last of all judgments that happens at the end of time, is done and completed. But can you imagine approaching this city, being ushered in? If you die today, one of God's angels would usher you in. That's what happens. You don't go there alone. God's angels usher you in, and you'd see a color like this. They say 99% of jasper stones look like this. Even as we approach the city, we are reminded of the precious blood of Christ, which was the price paid for us so that we could enter. 
The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, so he's not using analogies like pure gold, like he's saying what it is. This is what it is. It's jasper, pure gold, and just to underscore, he says, like clear glass. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, the British some decades ago required that from that time forward, all, all buildings be made out of limestone, which is sometimes they call the golden city. Why? Because at sunset, it has a golden hue to it. Here's a hotel just recently built. Uh, bring it up if you would. And when you see the sun setting on it, it has kind of a golden hue to it. And the Brits did that because it was their gesture of saying, this is a foreview, uh, a preview of what the new Jerusalem will be, will be like. And of course, he says here, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. Clear glass was the best quality glass in John's day. So when he describes the gold like that, he's underscoring, this is not like defective gold. This is the best of all the best gold you could ever imagine. So like the jasper, this gold should be taken as literal. And again, we're just getting a glimpse of what he saw. And I think it's not until we see it with our own eyes that we'll be able to take it all in. The 12 foundation stones of the city not only have the 12 names of the apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, they have 12 different precious stones. And the most beautiful and costly stones that we get in little chips here on earth, <laughs> the, the, the places, the foundation stones are made out of it. Uh, if you go with me sometime to Israel or if you've been there, and you tour the tunnels that have been open for about 15 years now where you can actually go down to street level where Jesus walked. This is a foundation stone that Herod built. I Herod, this is a foundation stone to the Temple Mount. And of course, there's the Temple Mount that gave you that flat platform and on top of it was the temple and Jesus predicted the temple would be raised and indeed it was. This stone, we usually have someone at one end and someone at the other end to give you a sense of its length. It's 45 feet long. It's 12 feet high. It's 14 feet deep. It weighs 600 tons, equivalent to some 200 large elephants, uh, two 747 jumbo jets. And they move these things to build the platform on which the temple would sit. But I want to tell you, these are just like little pebbles <laughs> compared to what the new Jerusalem will be like and what God has for us. Um, look further, verse 19, the foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper. We just saw a picture. It's a blood red color. The second sapphire, that's a deep blue. And by the way, according to Exodus, that's the stone under the feet of God. The third is chalcedony. This gemstone has kind of a bluish green color to it. The fourth is emerald, a deep green color. The fifth is sardinox. Gemologists tell us that this is a white stone with uh, brown streaks through it. The sixth is sardius, a deep red gemstone. The seventh, chrysolite, 
a gold-colored gemstone. The eighth is beryl, he mentions. This refers to a stone that is kind of a teal blue color. The ninth is topaz, a golden greenish color. The tenth is chrysoprase, which is a pale green gemstone. The eleventh is jacinth, kind of a a pale violet color. And the twelfth is amethyst, a rich, deep purple. Again, we're not even on the inside yet. These are just the foundation stones. And it just kind of staggers the imagination. Again, we, we have just chips of these things, and sometimes people make them to rings and bracelets for birthstones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are the foundation stones of a city that goes 1,500 miles into the, uh, 15 miles into the sky. This is our Father's house. Further notice... Main Street in verse 21, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. By the way, if you're a good real estate agent, one of the things you tell the person's house you're selling, you need to make the front door look good. That's what they always tell you. It may look a little trashy inside, but at least make the front door look good so that you get a good first impression. Well, God has 12 front doors, Again, we already read that the names of the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the doors. And we saw that these gate towers bear their names. Again, why? Because God the Son came through the people of Israel. I told you last time, I hope your best friend is a Jew. Because if he's not, you won't go to heaven. Jesus is a Jew. Anti-Semites don't like him. But here we learn each one of the gates was a single pearl. Each of the gates. I know we have all these jokes about Peter at the pearly gate. Sees it none, by the way. And of course, remember verse 17, we're given the thickness of the wall, 144 cubits, or 220 feet, or 72 yards, translated into English. John here is describing these gates as a single pearl. Now think about that. Think about that for just a second. If you could take the top off of this 1,800-seat auditorium, a single pearl that's described here won't quite fit through. These are magnificent. And why have a pearl, each gate made out of pearl? Well, some of you have pearls on this morning. I see a few of you. You know how a pearl is made. There's a little irritant in the oyster, usually caused by sand, and it wraps that fluid over and over and over and over and over until it forms a beautiful pearl. It's a result of a wound. And we will be forever reminded of the wounds of the Lord Jesus. Rich wounds visible above, we sing. And indeed, it's true, even in this glorified body. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Again, what asphalt is down here, (laughs) gold is up there. All the gold I own in the world is right there on my finger. And it's a cheap, low grade because I was about broke when I asked my precious wife to marry me. It's everywhere up there. And it should be because God is so great. God is so magnificent. And again, it's a symbol of the deity of God in Scripture. God's deity will permeate this place from one side to the other. You say, Pastor Carl, do you think the streets will really be made out of gold? God said what he meant. He meant what he said. 
And for you to come to another conclusion is to abuse and misuse the Holy Scripture. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 030. Don't forget that you can also download the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store. If you missed any part of the God's Prophetic series, just type Search the Scriptures and download the Search the Scriptures app to listen to messages anytime. Don't forget that you can also listen to messages online at searchthescriptures.org. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to Search the Scriptures.